Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Brisbane, you are so, so amazing. The show on the 11th of February is nearly sold out. So Dad and I have been talking and uh, we've been able to add an extra night. So Monday the 10th, we will be doing another show in Brisbane. And thanks to some pretty nifty timing, we've decided to launch season three of Loose Units. Hot stuff coming through in your city. This will be the first time audiences get to hear John talking about his time in the Fire Brigade. So that's February 10th at the Pado Tavern. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to our very special New Year's Eve episode of Loose Units, the podcast. There's a few big thank yous that I would like to do up the front of the episode, though. Dad and I have had an incredible, incredible year. So, first of all, this year, we made the list of Apple's top 10 podcasts of 2019, which is an absolutely huge honor. And we would really like to give some thanks. We'd like to thank Jordan, Guy, and the whole ACAST team for their incredible, unwavering support. They have been absolutely amazing. We'd like to thank Tegan Higginbotham, my wife, and our brand manager and tour manager and producer. This show would not exist without her. Here's a fun fact. The Loose Units podcast was Tegan's idea. I'd like to thank Christine Verhoeven, my mum, who obviously you would have heard in the two-part mum special episodes. I'd like to thank Derek in Collingwood at Castaway Studios, where we've recorded all of our wonderful episodes here. We'd also like to thank all of the emergency service personnel who have shared their stories with us over the course of the two series of the show and who continue to work really hard trying to keep us all safe day in, day out. I'd like to issue a very big, super fast thank you to our amazing Patreon subscribers. So bear with me while I read your names very quickly. I'm going to do this as quick as I can. Alison Miller, Amber Wolf, Andrew Eastwood, Ashley Ford, Brett Thompson, Catherine Ashland, Sintamani Crawford, Claire Jeans, Christy Hole, Daniel, uh, David Horn, Dean Harrison, Deanne Kilpatrick, Dennis Wires, Dirk Maximus, Elaine E., Elisa Ebbles, Ella LaBelle, Emma Cotty, Francis Letters, Gerald J. Smith, Haley Abbey, Helen Cunningham, Helena Kelson, I'm mispronouncing your name, Eraz Rana Zeran, I'm mispronouncing your name, James Shaw. Jan Wilson, Jenny Sullivan, Kate Cooper, Kate Mitchell, Katrina Ray, Kelly Neagle, Kim Smith, Lauren, Lauren Burke, Leanne Beckingham, Michelle Parry, Miranda Krisky, Nicole Weber, Paula Van Rees, Rodney Grant, Sam Harvey, Sam Lindsay, Samantha, Sarah Penn, Shannon Ponting, Sheila, ah, fuck, Sheely, Sheely, S-H-A-E-S-H, fucking hell. Sheely Purves, Simone Haig, Tegan, Tegan Bailey, Tiffany Pitcher, Tiffany Sharples, Tom and Jeb in space, Tony, Tracy Vandenberg, and Victoria Knight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's because of you guys specifically that we were able to facilitate this final recording session for the year. That's right. These final episodes, you paid for them. They wouldn't exist without you. So thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. And finally, 
We'd like to thank the Loose Units community because Dad and I have met some absolutely incredible people this year, like James and his family in Kangaroo Flat, Ella and Tony, who have journeyed to multiple states to see us perform, Sarah Kay and her incredible daughter who came and sat front row in Sydney, and all the Melbourne fans who supported Dad through that very nervous but wonderful first show. And uh, really, just thank you to all of you. This show wouldn't exist without you, so we would like to wish you a very, very happy Loose Units New Year. Paul, you're going to thank me? Yeah, I guess. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Paul. Love you, mate. Love you, too. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. My dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has widely been described as an absolute storm. Now, you all know this. Presumably, you've read the book Loose Units, and you've listened to Loose Units, the podcast, and season two of Loose Units, the podcast, Electric Blue. But guess what? Dad was also in the Work Cover Authority, which meant he was involved investigating some of the most horrific industrial accidents and cover-ups imaginable. So for this very special mini-series, we are doing Work Cover Authority cases with Dad in Loose Units, Not Safe for Work. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Loose Units Not Safe for Work, where we delve into Dad's time as a safety inspector. So, Dad, you've got one episode left of this bridging season left to go before we head to the next big thing for us. Mm. So, you had a kind of ominous look in your eye when we started recording. What would you like to talk about? I thought I'd start off with a bit of a fun story, just so the listeners get some more insight into my twisted mind. Well, given that this particular iteration of Loose Units tends to have a lot of amputations, I mean, I'm curious to see what fun is for you. Mm. Well, fun is... uh, Now, we didn't have mobile phones. Uh I had a pager. But I was the the manager. Yeah. So picture this. I'm a manager who has contempt for the bureaucracy. Sure. When I say contempt, um, and I don't want my lovely friends to think less of me, but mm-hmm. I was so... I just couldn't wait to get out of the office every morning. Because, I mean, this is only... We're in the third episode of this safety inspection uh, era of your investigative career. It seems like you got jaded pretty oh, look, fast. I was so jaded. It was just, you know, the bullshit. Um, we used to have this system where if you didn't want to really answer a problem yeah. in terms of a, a complaint or something, mm-hmm. you would do this sort of a bit of a spiel at the bottom of the report mm. and you'd just reinsert it into the system. What do you mean? You just sort of put some bullshit, erroneous comment like, like I'm heading away for a few days, I'm going on leave, I'm not feeling well, perhaps this can be blah, blah, blah. And it would just go back into this this perpetual loop. It was a matter of delaying things, but everyone did it. So, nothing actually really was happening in terms of the department. Uh. Um, it was it was com- a state government bureaucracy at its worst. Okay. Um, so, you know that I used to love collecting bottles. Yes. So, a very, very dear friend of mine, he and I were in the police force together. He went on to become an amazing homicide detective, and I caught up with him a few weeks ago. Yes. And he actually, and and you know who who I'm talking about, my dear friend. Um, well, I know, because he's, I mean, he's in the book. Yeah, but, uh, but I know him, obviously, his real name. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds weird. Yeah. So, to, to my lovely friend, uh, he actually said to me a few weeks ago, he looked at me and he said... How on earth can you remember all these stories? And I just do. Uh, so, you know, it's it's because they're just a part of my life and I I do treasure all the memories. But I went, I uh, it was about 10 in the morning 
And as I said, I was in the inner city and he and I used to dive a lot for old bottles and then I organized to meet him. So I drove a company car, hooked up with him and we, so I'm basically supposed to be at work. I've got all my scuba diving gear in the back of the car, get all my gear on down at Mrs. Macquarie's chair near the opera house mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, the two of us go diving for old bottles. Now, as we're getting out of the, uh, the harbour, there's a photographer from the Sun newspaper and as it turns out, um, that was the last week ever that the sun was going to be printed. So here's me um, working for work cover. Uh, that particular newspaper is in my on my turf. Mm. And um, the sun photographer comes up and says, oh, what are you guys doing? It's about 10, 30, 11 in the morning, sunny day, opera house behind, harbour bridge. And we say, oh, we're looking for old bottles. And he says, oh, and we, we, we tell him a little bit about this, uh, you know, the, the fascination of collecting our bottles. And he said, oh, okay. He said, would you mind having your photos taken for the sun? And I sort of said, yeah, no worries. Not thinking that I'm supposed to be at work. And um, he said, have you got any old bottles? And we said, no, no. So he goes over to a garbage bin. He gets four wine bottles that have been discarded by someone. Yeah. So there's, and you, you know where this story is going, Paul. Mm. So he gives us each a, a bottle or two. And there we are standing sort of waist deep in the water <clears throat> the next day on in page three of the sun which is a very important page is a half page photograph of me and my mate the caption reads colonial trash comes up cash and it says john verhoven <laughs> a safety inspector with the new south wales work cover authority oh, shit. and blah 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 yeah uh new south wales police officer mm. And it's this big story. Now, I've still got that. I had it laminated, as did my friend. And that's an example. And no one, of course, ever said anything. I mean, they could have looked at the newspaper and said, wow, this, there's John. He's supposed to be at work. But you, got, you think that was indicative of just a level of, like, kind of not give a shit at Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then, I don't know how I wrangled it, but they used to give us these Mitsubishi Colts. Now, a Mitsubishi Colt, not a car, not a gun. Sorry, not a gun, not a horse. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, it was a so a car, a, shit, a horse, and a gun walk into a bar. It was a shitbox car, uh-huh. and the they had a department that used to issue car, the cars, and it was so draconian. Hang on, were they the same department that issued horses and guns? No, no, no. But they were so. It was like it, you had to literally, you had to look. I, I can't even describe to the listener what you had to do to get a fucking car. Right, and and and, and they took extreme notation of the kilometres. Oh, right. You know, have you heard this story? No, but I'm saying it's this does not sound anything like the police force where you just get in a different coloured car and hoon away. True, but this is I wanted to take this one home for the weekend. Okay. Because I had ulterior motives. Ah. So what happened was uh I wanted to take Christine to the Hunter Valley. Right. And for some reason or other, you know, we we had shitbox cars. We had a car that was so bad that I had to use a milk crate behind the driver's seat <laughs> to stop it collapsing into the back. We're talking ridiculously yeah. sad. Yeah. Uh, an absolute bucket of shit that was. So, and not, and not not that roadworthy. So, I had an opportunity to somehow, I don't know how I, I wrangled it, but I managed to sort of come up with this incredibly complex story that I had a really big investigation on a, on a Friday afternoon and I couldn't get it back. Yeah. So, I've got this Mitsubishi Colt, two-door. I don't know what we did with the kids, but we had you farmed out to someone. Who knows? Jesus. And... um. And I had to get this car because I came up with a bit of a brainwave. Mm. And this is this is where I'm sounding a bit bit dodgy. So apologies in advance to everyone. But I figured that if I could disconnect the speedo, 
Uh, we could go away gall- gallivanting around and then I could, on Sunday night, reconnect the Speedo. <laughs> Hang on. So, you were trying to- p- You were pulling the Ferris Bueller trick of like exactly. winding, the- winding the speedometer back. Oh, precisely. It's Ferris Bueller. Yeah. So, I got underneath the car. But how do I get underneath the car? I had to go down to an auto place and buy a pair of ramps. So, I had to drive up the ramps, <laughs> handbrake on, into gear, underneath the car. And I figured out I could see- where the cable went and the cable connected to a part of the drive shaft and obviously as it's spinning it's registering ticking over in miles not yeah. kilometers yeah and um i disconnected the uh, the cable i then wrapped it around the uh some part of the underneath of the car yeah and everything was honky dory okay yeah so mum and i we uh, we pissed off to the hunter uh-huh. and we're about 200k out of sydney <laughs> yeah doing well i guess we were doing about 110 uh-huh and um, unbeknownst to me, the cable uh, dislodged, wrapped around one of the wheels, <gasps> and within a microsecond, it sucked not just the cable, but the entire speedo, which is <laughs> which is an autonomous, massive thing, and it sucked it out of the dash, and I could actually see oh my God. in a microsecond, I could see all of the engine, and I could actually see the bitumen. <gasps> I could see right down onto the road. Wait, so it just goes... Just this. And, but then I looked in the rear vision mirror yeah. and there's this huge like machine. It's like a small machine, like a small tin of paint like- with a long lever and it's just flipping around. Cars are running over it and I was fucked. <laughs> so that happened. But here's the funny thing, is if that's not bad enough. Yeah. Um, when I returned the car on Monday morning to the motor pool, yeah. minus a fucking speedo, no one ever said anything. It's an incredible story. I'm so happy. That's yeah. such great imagery. So that was kind of made me feel Hang on. that 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 made me feel good in a perverted sort of way that I'd kind of beaten the system. But the weirdness of the whole story was that that no one ever said anything because they probably would have looked at this huge area on the dash where a speedo once had been. Yeah, and thought, wow, that's just maybe it just fell out. Well, or, and I was never ever, and it was never mentioned. How they're going to prove how far you've driven if the speedo is gone? Correct. Okay, so oh, that was exciting. Speaking of sucking the guts out of the car, what's the most gruesome thing you ever had to deal with or assess in your time as a safety inspector? What's the most like horrifying thing that, that that happened on the record? Because I think at this point, you know, you've had some amputations and you've had you know a guy that was encased in like molten rubber. But what's the worst thing you ever had to investigate? Uh, well, actually, um, it's nothing to do with horrific injury. What is it? I'll tell you. Sure. Okay. Now, this story, I will. I think it's fair to say that the New South Wales Work Cover Authority was complicit in certain forms of, let's say, corruption. Really? Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Mm. Um, I worked with an amazing uh, guy, and every department. It just seemed to be that there were sort of rorts in the system. Mm. And this particular guy who was very high up in the Work Cover Authority, he only ever once took me down to Chinatown. And in Chinatown, um, they used to have uh, gangs and they'd come through because they're all, it's a cash industry down there. Mm. And they wouldn't necessarily call the police uh, if they'd been robbed. And there were uh, gangs, like triad gangs and all those types of gangs that would uh, invariably come through the fire escapes yeah. down on the street and they'd come up through and into the restaurant. So what these um, uh, certain restaurant owners would do is they would chain uh, the safety doors, fire doors, fire mm. escapes, mm. 
and padlock them. And then once there was a terrible fire in Sydney, and they found all their patrons, all all their charred remains. How many? Oh, there would have been perhaps ten bodies. And they'd made it as far as the fire escape. And that's really great, isn't it? And it was locked to stop... They'd locked it. ...to stop gangsters getting yeah. in. And then, then, then that became sort of a... A fairly standard uh, thing. And then when you go to a yum cha, or used to go, we used to take your kids to yum chars all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, they'd sometimes bring out like a massive round table top mm. and they'd roll it out to make the table bigger. Oh, so yeah. So you could have more people. I remember, yeah. Well, those big round circles of timber, mm. where were they stored? Out back? In the fire escapes. No. Yeah. So how the fuck... Are you supposed to get out of a burning restaurant? If it was fucked. So this particular guy that we used to call Sir Lunch a lot. Good rap name. Yeah. Because he loved having a, a nice lunch. Yeah. He said, John, I'm gonna show you something. If you ever want to if you're ever feeling peckish, this is what we do. And we walked bold as brass into a major Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. Can you tell me which one? Doesn't matter which one. It was a mate. We're talking the big league. Wasn't the Marigold, was it? Probably not. Okay. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. But, um, and the first thing that had happened is that the owner of the restaurant would shit his, shit his pants because he, he recognized my colleague. Right. And he'd go, oh, Mr. Whatever your name is, um, what would you like to eat? And we'd just sit down at these Chinese restaurants. Well, I only sat down at one mm. and they would lay it on big time. And then my colleague, very senior guy, would say, oh, Mr. Such and Such, uh, Shall we have a look at your uh, fire escape? Oh, no, no, no. Um, we fix it. 
So it was this situation where you'd go in there, you'd get your free meal. They never ever fixed up the fire escapes. So you'd have your free meal and then you'd go, but you'd never ever... Did the inspection? Did the inspection. So even though you knew, and everyone knew that these were a, a frightening hazard. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty fucked up. So I'd kind of been in an organisation, the police force, and then which I, you know, my views on the, mm. corrupt, the corruption. Yeah. And then um, to to experience that, and I knew that money being traded hands with certification with the cranes and things, you know, big money. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was corrupt. And then, but the, now the story that I'm, I'm going to tell you now, I think's pretty bad, and I hope the the listeners really appreciate the gravity of what I'm about to say. Mm. And. There's a bit of a family connection with the story, which okay. you'll you'll pick up on. Hmm. So I told you that I um, had a very big area in the city, um, my area. I had all the printing presses, I had all the wharves, the docks. You know, it was a huge, um, concentrated in a small geographic area, but very potent. A lot of construction, and one of the things that I had in my in my area, very close by to my office, was the uh, the Carlton United Brewery. The top of near the UTS. Yes, it's not there anymore. No, it's um, not. It's now it, beautiful apartments. It was a huge complex. Incredible. We actually lived in one of those apartments. Just yes. that beautiful one opposite the UTS with all the plants and flowers yep. that, funnily enough, are all dying now because there's no water anymore. Oh, God. Um, but I remember distinctly being invited to uh, a big meeting up there. And all my very, very senior people, like we're talking the heads of departments, mm. I was a massive, and I didn't. I was the district manager, so I didn't. But I had no idea what I was sort of getting myself in for. All the top management at Carlton United Breweries were all there, and the head of the union. Everyone's there, and we did a walk around. It's the first time I'd ever been into this place, and it was so intense and immense. It's a massive working brewery, Carlton United. I mean, you know, they're pumping out some serious beer. Yeah, and they had these um, huge. Uh, again, I'll describe them as kettles. And we talk about kettles in a couple of stories, but yeah. they're like a huge vat that might be, let's, for example, say maybe two stories high. And in those vats of which there were, from memory, at least a hundred of them, mm-hmm. um, they're lagged, which means covered in um, asbestos <gasps> and the bad shit, the deadly stuff. So we're doing this tour and, uh, you know, all all the big, the big brass are there and I'm kind of there because it's my area, but I think that's the only reason I was there. And oh. I was a bit of a shit stirrer. And um, was. I said to, uh, I mean, it was clearly... Uh, asbestos. No, well, it was asbestos. Yeah. It was the bad asbestos. That That's a given. And I said to, because um, this is in my area, and I said, you know, what's what's the union? What, what do the union say about this? This is clearly something really scary. And I was uh, told in no uncertain terms that um, it was not to be mentioned because the union was saving this for a big pay claim. See? They're just saving it. What do you mean saving it? So when they go for a really big pay claim, Mm -hmm. they can use that as their big fuck you. That's their big. That's their lever. So the asbestos. No, so they don't. they, they, They they they're not doing anything about it. They're happy just to have it parked. Now, you and I both know, due to a family connection, the whole yeah. asbestos thing, yeah. it's heavy. And, of course, that's before the tsunami of shit happened in Australia with um, with the whole asbestos. With the Hardy Grant stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that relocated to the Netherlands. So they reduced their uh, 
their payments. Fun fact, um, we all like to think of Canada as being a very enlightened place. Apparently, they're one of the few um, first world countries that export asbestos to India, I believe. Yeah, they export it to India. <clears throat> so, um, and then here, here's the thing. After I was sort of left agog with just, okay, well, I'm obviously never allowed to discuss this again. Yeah. We were then taken to the most expensive seafood restaurant in Sydney for a massive half day like a banquet. Banquet. Yeah. With all the heads of union, management, work cover. And I'm just sitting there going, well, this is fucked. So I had a few things like that happen to me and I just thought, you know what? It's a joke. Yeah. Um, and I worked with um, a couple of guys that were really incredible, but I worked with a couple of... I can't even describe these people. Do you feel like you made a difference while you were there? Do you feel like you investigated anything where you really uncovered some stuff? No, I did. I I really believed in it and I I put in some really, really good reports. And I was earmarked to, uh, I was told by uh, one of the directors that I I was going to be, you know, I'd been sort of singled out to to, to go places. Mm. But I I just thought, nah. So I had a few, uh, you know, got involved. One of my friends in the Work Cover Authority, he was on a building... A very tall building in Sydney. Yes. And he was held over the edge by the ankles. <gasps> by who? By one of the union guys. What? Yeah, threatening to drop him 40 floors. Why would he be threatening him? Because they didn't like the work cover on site. So, it, just from Intimidation. A, sure, but just from an outside perspective, the job of the work cover person is to, is to expose any kind of wrongdoings on behalf of the employers, right? No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what? How does? Well, in, in, ostensibly to look after the workers. But you would think to make would... their place of work. Nah, it's, that's not how it works. Because I, I would, I just assumed that the unions and the work cover would be on the same page, more or less, right? Like they are both looking out for the workers, theoretically. Um, well, here's 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 a little story. Um, now I don't want to be, I do not want to be seen, and I'm not, I don't want to be seen as as a basher of anyone. Yeah. Like I'm not a union basher. Of course, I've been in unions. I'm in one now, I think. Yeah, so yeah. look, let, let's just make that front and center. Of course. But a mate of mine who was, uh, he's um, a top um, engineer. Yeah. He was working on this Sydney Olympic um, project mm-hmm. uh, at, at Olympic Park, and. Um, I was just thinking about this a few days ago, and I, I, I'm glad it's come back to, to sort of my memory. And it's an interesting, it's an anecdote, and it's a story about how things used to be. Yeah. And it's this is going to sound to the listeners actually a little bit like science fiction, okay. but it's real. So sure. just bear with me on this particular story. It's a short story. They had all these cranes working on site. Now the un- crane drivers, the big uh, mobile, the big t- sorry, the tower cranes. Back when I was a safety inspector, they mm. were they were militant if, if i can say that and very powerful and they earned huge money and it was a closed shop so it was very difficult to get into that scene but they had a rule where if they opened up now here's the funny thing uh and one doesn't like to generalize but a lot of people on work sites back then used to read a certain type of newspaper and there was one particular paper that they probably didn't read so the paper that they probably didn't read mm. was for example the sydney morning herald but they read the Mirror, the Sun, and the Telegraph. They used to open up a full spread because they had a rule that if there were eight drops of rain on an opened newspaper, they'd stop the site. They regarded it as wet and dangerous. Mm. That's eight drops, but they didn't do it on the Telegraph. They had a Sydney Morning Herald for that because it's a broadsheet and it catches more drops. How's that? More excuses. Eight to- drops oh on that sheet, oh and it was tools down. Now I, I just find that. <sighs> That does not happen now. No. But 
when I was in the uh, work cover authority, that sort of thing, you know, it happened. And then, um, you know, there was this moment, <coughs> sorry, in my life where I just thought I was just becoming, I was missing that, that adrenaline. That you got from the police force. Yeah. Yeah. And I clearly was even considering going back to the New South Wales police force. Were you? <coughs> yep. You never told me that. No, I, um, I missed it. I missed that, that um, you know, the camaraderie. <clears throat> all that sort of stuff. And- well, look, we're almost at the end of this episode. So I think what listeners to Loose Units really like is, the, is, frankly, it's the weird shit. So do you have any accidents before we go that were particularly bizarre? Yeah. I um, Have you heard of Goodman Fielders? They're a, they, they make um, flour. No. They, they grind flour. No. And they, they were a very big factory in Lane Cove in Sydney. And they've got these incredible towers. I mean, they are massive. And inside those is flour. Now... Paul, did you realise that flour dust is highly explosive? No. Well, think about it. Well, then cakes would be detonating, wouldn't they? No, because imagine the dust. Right. So, if it's in a dust form and you were to light a match, instantaneously the flame would travel in every direction, igniting those microparticles of flour. Wow. Okay. So, you don't think of dust, but it's highly explosive. Okay. So... There was this guy and he, they knew that dust was explosive, Mm. but this guy had, they had this system in place for years where a guy would actually get to the very top of this huge tower and he'd open up this little hatch at the top and he'd peer down and his job was to suss out the level of flour in this huge silo. Yeah. And how do you think he did that? Uh, with a fly- with a little shitty light bulb on a shitty little bit of wire, and he'd dangle it down. He'd feed it down, 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 and so he could see the, in this dimly lit chasm the flower. Right. But the problem was that he was kind of I don't know how he'd done it, but he got a bit of a side swaying <sighs> movement shit, shit. in. Uh, it started swinging. Yeah. Or, or maybe he was even doing it on for fun, or was he checking out the sides? But the light globe smashed against the side, blew him up, blew... He was fucked. Yeah. But not only that, the microparticles of glass rendered half a million dollars of the flower useless. Somewhere in amongst that. These tiny little fragments. So he'd, he'd blown himself up yeah. through the dust. And speaking about like the trail, how something can ignite sort of incredibly, um, sort of instantaneously. Mm. Many many years ago, <clears throat> they used to have road workers, and they would have these little like little like a little cabin, and you'd see them on the side of the road, and they'd go in and there. And sometimes you see those little like the you know the Telstra guys. They have, they work underneath a little tent. Mm. And like a little lean to, and they set it up, and it's got a little bit of a window and a little bit of a flap, and they mount it on like a, a metal frame. Yeah. So these guys, they used to have these sort of um, like old-fashioned wooden like little sheds, and they'd go in there and then they'd make a brew, like a cup of tea, and it's quite surreal, really. And they'd be, you know, they'd come out and they'd sort of park down the road and they'd be sitting there. Anyway, one day, this guy, he goes in, young guy, he goes into one of these sheds. And he thinks, look, I'm going to um, uh, fill up the motor mower because mm. they were a mowing gang and he'd gone and that's where they kept the petrol. And 
He opened up a can of petrol and he's filling up the mower, unbeknownst to him. So he's in an an enclosed space. Yeah. It's a tiny little shed and it's a hot summer's day and about 100 metres away, one of his mates lights up a cigarette right into the vapour trail and it flashed back to the guy filling up the little motor mower inside this shed and fucking blew him up. There was absolutely nothing left of the guy. The entire shed, everything was destroyed by one guy lighting a match. That's why they say when you go into a petrol station, mm. don't... Um, don't light a cigarette. Don't light a cigarette. And then, then then there was that case that I actually was involved in where the young girl, she pulled up to get petrol in the morning and she uh, she didn't put the petrol in the car. She poured it all over herself and lit herself and she was like a flaming fucking candle. And as she's running, what she's doing is she's increasing the intensity of the flame. Right. And eventually she just uh, fell over in a heap, which is a bit of a, an aside, but it's a petrol story. So it seems like fire is a very common thread through not just the police force with the witch and not just the safety inspection with just the amount of heat and explosions generated, but you ended up as a fireman. And uh, season three of Loose Units, which comes out very soon, uh, which is called Hot Stuff Coming Through, which is a title I'm very proud of, uh, obviously has you in the New South Wales Fire Brigade for an extensive period. And you did some incredible stuff there. But how the hell do you segue from the uh, safety inspector thing to the fire brigade? Okay. Very short and sweet. Mm. In the late 80s, there was an arsonist getting around Sydney and he, for some reason or other, had a bit of a problem with organised religion. He was setting on fire all the major churches in Sydney. And one day I was in my office as district manager in the Work Cover Authority, feeling a bit, how are you going? I walk over the window. I'm peering down from 10 floors up on the most incredible scene of this entire cathedral, well alight. There were numerous appliances, fire, fire engines, ladders, aerial appliances, platforms, It was a huge event at the top of George Street in Sydney. Mm. I'm looking down on this incredible scene and I just thought to myself, fuck it, I'm applying for the fire brigade. It was that simple. And it turned out to be the beginning of 10 years of of extraordinary things. But also, uh, it was the most difficult job in the world, at least in Australia, to get into. But that's another story. And given how, you know, fire ridden this country is lately i think it's going to be a really interesting exciting season so we hope you've enjoyed loose units not safe for work our three-parter look into uh the job of being a safety inspector uh you know uh and we will see you very very soon for loose units season three hot stuff coming through if you want more information and updates make sure you head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units we will see you very very soon for more loose units
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.